0: God says, when the troubles come, he said, fight. You can't fight, he said, withstand. You can't withstand, he said, stand. What does it mean to stand? He said, don't change. What, don't change what? Number one, don't change what you believe. Here, we will reason concerning the scriptures about the doctrines we hold dear. We believe in souls being saved, lives being changed, and Bible doctrines being strengthened by the word of God. We believe in the local church, soul winning, missions, and everything taught in the King James Bible. I thank God tonight for this wonderful Bible. You know, I I thank God it's a perfect book and I, I love the Bible. doesn't need any addition, no correction, nothing taken from it. Thank God tonight for the Holy Bible. I like it just like it is. We are not ashamed of being fundamental Baptists, and we want to encourage others to remain true to the Bible, their Baptist heritage, and to not change what they have been given. You just stick with the book. You can't beat this book. <laughs> Why does every generation feel that we've got to change it just a little bit, because our daddy did it fast, and our granddaddy did it like that, let's change it just a little bit. You change it, and things that are different
1: are not the same the same commit thou to faithful men.
0: Thank you for joining us in our discussion of what it means to be a fundamental Baptist.
1: Welcome David Baker here. Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. We're glad that you're here. I have a a good friend with me, uh, becoming a good friend, Brother Tim Pledger, um, missionary, uh, been pastor, assistant pastor, and uh, we had him um, teach in Sun School this morning. He's preaching in our church tonight, and uh, boy, just enjoyed it. I love missions and the heart for missions. Uh, Many of my best friends are missionaries. I've been on mission Trips uh, to uh, Africa, Mexico, Philippines, uh, New Zealand, and a few other places, and, and love it. But the Pledger had been to how many countries? 122. 122. Uh, I didn't know there were that many. No, I did. But uh, 122 countries. So I wanted to interview with Brother Pledger and his ministry, and I really want you to get this because we are commanded to get the gospel to the world. Who is? You are. Mm -hmm. Who is? I am. He is. Our church is. Your church is. And so many times we think, okay, that's just impossible. We can't do it. Um, If God said to do it, then we ought to do our best, die trying to do it. God said we are to preach the gospel to every creature. And so that's our job. I would rather try with everything that's in me to do something and fail than to say, ah, I can't do it and not even try. So for the pleasure, I want to hear about uh, life, the basic stuff. So um,
2: salvation for you, growing up, uh, your call of God. Go ahead and tell us that. Okay. My dad and mom got saved in 1967 um, at a revival service uh, where my dad was uh, living in uh, DeSoto, Kansas. Uh, two and a half years or two years after he got saved, uh, he uh, was called to preach. And in 1969, the year I was born, he left for Bible school. and so. Wow. I was a kid growing up uh, in Pontiac, Michigan at Midwestern Baptist College, Emanuel Baptist Church under the ministry of Dr. Tom Malone, who's now in heaven. Mm. And uh, when my dad finished school, he we went to pastor in Arkansas and start a church, typical independent Baptist preacher looking to start a brand new church, started in our household, uh, eventually rented a storefront and then got a building of her own. And so while my dad was pastoring there at the age of nine, uh, God began to convict me of my sin. I went to Amen. church on a Wednesday night, and we had a guest preacher that night, and I didn't walk forward to be saved, but came home after the services at nine years old, December the 5th, 1978, and uh, got on my knees and asked Jesus to be my Savior. And so life as a preacher's kid growing up, I, of course, I probably learned the Bible just in Sunday school and at family devotions and things, and Amen. then when I was fifteen years of age, I was back out in Pontiac with my dad. He was pastoring up in Vermont for six and a half years when I was a kid, and uh went out to uh, Pontiac again for a day called Founders Day where they'd have guest preachers come from all over and uh Dr Tomalone got up on a on an evening service and preached a sermon. I remember it like it was yesterday entitled Seeing Sinners Through the Eyes of Jesus. And as, a, mm. as just a teenage kid, I surrendered my life to preach the gospel. Wow. felt like God was calling me into ministry. And uh, then finished uh, my high school years. My dad, in my senior year, took a church in Florida where he's pastored the last 37 years called Calvary Baptist Church in Middleburg, mm. just outside of Jacksonville. And so because I could be a town student, I drove back and forth to a Bible college there in Jacksonville, under the ministry of Dr. Bob Gray at Trinity Baptist, and uh, graduated in 92. Uh, when I finished school, went off to uh, uh, Africa, to Nigeria, West Africa. Uh, got there in 96 after raising support for about a year and nine months, and then uh, started churches in the uh, southwestern part of Nigeria. Uh, was, uh, was there for uh, right at six years, and then and then in 2003, went to Brooklyn, New York, and pastored an old Baptist church called the Sixth Avenue Baptist Church. Mm. And uh, so was there from 0- 03 to 07. In 07, went back to Florida and began to work with my dad and his church. It's been really the honor of my life. I've enjoyed ministry in a lot of other places, awesome. but to be able to serve alongside your dad. I know your parents are members of the church here in Tennessee, and to be able to serve alongside your family That's is nice. a great blessing. And so... Uh, Anyways, started a ministry in 2008 there at our church called the All Nations Outreach Ministry. And that became the thrust of our local church, taking the gospel to the third world and around to different nations. And and so now, as of last October, been traveling with our missions ministry, trying to share with uh, local churches like here at Family Baptist in Columbia, about how that we're helping indigenous pastors and me and my wife are excited pray for my wife she's taking care of our her 90 year old mother that lives with us there in florida with late stage dementia but uh uh we uh we travel and and try to bring awareness to the importance of of getting the gospel uh, to the ends of the earth through indigenous pastors and church planners and then i'm going to be in kenya this this uh, this month september uh and we're buying a piece of property there to help one of the bible schools And Kim and I are building a house there just to be able to give us an East African base. And so appreciate you allowing me to be on the podcast today and appreciate you allowing me to be at church this morning.
1: Man, love it, love it so much in there. I want to um, ask you about interesting. So your first deputation going to Nigeria a year and nine months is that right? Yes, sir. So did you go under supported? Did you raise support quickly? Um, usually it's three years or so. So yeah. um, what, what what did God do there?
2: You know, you said something to me yesterday just in conversation. I, I reflected back on those days after you mentioned this to me. But you said that a missionary goes into the church and if he has a heart for service and trying to help the local church witness, get there early and knock Mm -hmm. on doors. Uh, I I was green. I didn't have much experience outside of just being raised in a preacher's home and Mm -hmm. a little bit of experience in Bible school and things and my dad's ministry there in Florida. But uh, in in going to churches, I drove to any church that would allow me to come. I was at a lot of missions conferences in those days, but I did a lot of extra door knocking in the churches I'd be in. Of course, being a young man in those years at the age of 26, 27, uh, preachers would give you opportunities to preach. And so I pretty much cut my teeth in preaching, going to churches, you know, and so, uh, but it, God blessed, made a lot of great people, didn't go under supported. In those days, you didn't have to have as much as what's required sure. today. I think I left in 96 with about $3,500 a month uh, of support, went to a city called Abeokuta, Nigeria. Mm. And I was also helped out a lot in those early days by Older missionaries, Brother Mark Sigstead was there at the time, awesome. uh, just other men. I met Brother Maskey in those years and got to stay at his house with him, wow. David Long. They yep. all yep. sort of took me under wing and treated me like one of their young kid brothers and stuff and taught me a lot about missions, really, in those first couple of years I was there. Wow, oh, that's awesome.
1: I love that. It. We talked some about that because, um, boy, the world needs a gospel, and we send missionaries out, and it takes them three many times more than that. Do you know the percentage that's curious— How many missionaries start deputation and don't finish?
2: I've heard, and and they're old statistics. I I heard many, many years ago, and it was Brother Doug Kalap, that I read some of his writings and he talked about it, but it was a very small percentage. I won't quote it exactly, but it was in the low teens or maybe the high 20s of all of those that start deputation that eventually make it to the field. Mm -hmm. And then the statistics of those that stay beyond the first four years was even more uh, smaller than that. And so Mm -hmm. it's rather sad. But it just shows that if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Just uh, the challenges of it, trying to raise support, pastors not knowing who you are and Mm -hmm. trying to discover more about you as you're meeting them for the first time. Uh, But God can do anything, and God's blessed us in traveling this time. I've been in some wonderful churches. Brother Baker, just in traveling the last, I guess, nine or ten months, uh, some of the choice, not just pastors, but the choice servants of God that serve in local churches, their generosity, their kindness, uh, they just make it makes you feel like you're part of a greater team you know Amen. in meeting some of the folks that I've met these last many months awesome which brings us to a lot of what, what I've enjoyed
1: uh, the hours we got to spend yesterday and talking. I don't know how many hours we talked but it was a lot and and curiousness the mission trips I've been on and looking to see and think what is the best way to get the gospel to the world? Um, what is the best way to multiply what we have? What's the biblical plan? How can we work within that? What can be done to do more? And you mentioned a few times in when you gave your introduction of uh, indigenous pastors. So mm-hmm. so explain that why, that's not the typical missions route that's done, yeah. but explain that why, what you've seen, and, um, and then after that, I'm sure people will have those thoughts. Uh-oh, what are the potential problems? Yeah. And, and I wanted to let you know, we, he has, um, and we've thought through some of the potential problems to be able to fix those. And so don't turn it off before because automatically your brain is going to go to the problems. Yeah. And yes, in everything, <laughs> problem, we're talking about this already, but you know there, there's problems in marriage but there 's a lot of blessings in marriage, right, and so right. you don 't not get married because of potential problems yeah, oh there 's problem with having kids okay, but you don 't not get ha, not have children because of potential problems you You see how do we fix those potential yeah, problems the yeah. same way in this.
2: So tell us about indigenous pastors, why with them and and how to help yeah, them and let, and let me say this uh, i 've never been in missions on either or i don 't think that you have exactly. to discard the importance of the American missionary in order to help the indigenous pastors. I think that there has to be, you know, in the body of Christ, just like in your local church, God gifts different people to meet certain needs. I look at the role of an American missionary as being a certain gift that God has gifted them just from our very nature of their background. When they go to the field, they help in so many different areas, the maturing of those local men, the uh, Bible doctrines that they bring with them when they come. But why the indigenous pastor? I go back to the book of Acts. I, I, I have studied and I've listened to people over the last several years that have studied diligently the life of the Apostle Paul, for example. And Paul was not a stationary pastor in one location building a big church and then sending missionaries or local pastors out. He was traveling from place to place and rarely stayed more than two or three months at a time in a place. But he was doing the work of what we'd call today a missionary, one that was sent. He was sent out of the church at Antioch and, of course, the connection there with Jerusalem. But in each of these places, when folks were one to Christ that were the local indigenous converts, they were trained... Uh, there, and then they were in turn made into the local pastors in crete and in antioch and 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 these and these places where Paul went. Uh, And so why the indigenous pastors? I think you have to look at the biblical pattern. Mm -hmm. But then from a practical standpoint, and I think this is where there's probably some places where we go overboard in helping at times when we should allow things to grow organically in the gospel. But I look at like the longevity of national pastors. I know it's probably an overused argument, but... uh, I've met a lot of missionaries, and I was a missionary for six years in Nigeria, and there's almost a shelf life to missionaries that go overseas. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not that you don't find the Rick Martins that stay for 40 years and, 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 are, and are diligent and other great men of God that leave America behind. Probably in my father's generation and in my grandfather's generation, there were missionaries that would stay on a field for 30 and 40 years and, and were perfectly contented and, and were able to continue the work of God. In our generation, for example, Pastor Baker, Uh, in 1970, among Western evangelical missionaries, you can do the research on this, there were 400,000 Western evangelical missionaries Mm. scattered around the world. Today, they're right at 200,000. So the world has grown like this, and the number of missionaries coming out of the West, at least, have diminished greatly. And so that's reflective of our missionaries' in independent Baptist churches as well as others. Someone said this, they said, um, and I believe it to be close to the truth, there are near a 100,000 independent Baptist churches in America, the average attendance being about 70 in attendance, Mm. which makes about 700,000 of us. Well, out of that 700,000 of us, less than half of 1% of those become what you would call professional missionaries. So we're not producing enough missionaries right. even to reach the world. The indigenous pastor works because of his longevity. He knows the culture, the language. He's not having to adapt. He knows how to survive in a harsh climate. It's that. That's one reason. But he also has the ability to, to train his own because of the understanding of the culture. Many of us that even go to a foreign field... You could spend 20 years, I've been learning the African culture since 1996, and I've probably scraped the surface. When when it comes to relating to Africans, I feel like I know the African people as an American, but I'll never be able to reach them like their own people. Uh, Ezekiel, I sought for a man among them. The among them indicates that if God's going to save people from Tennessee, it's going to be volunteers that reach their own. It's the same in Florida. It's the same in Africa and Indian, Asia. And so our heart's desire has been knit together with the indigenous pastors because they know how to adapt to circumstances that most Americans struggle to adapt with. And it gives them longevity and because their own people will receive the truth from them much better than they will from an outsider coming to preach the truth to them. Those are some of the things that oh, led us really down good. that road. Yes, sir. It's really good. And I know I've seen that. And
1: uh, I don't know the people listening, if you've been on any mission trips uh, whatever, but I've been in the Philippines six or seven times. And, and uh, we always had missionaries there that we would meet and connect with. But typically we went there to... Help the national pastor. And so Dr. Armie Jasalva mm-hmm. in Cebu um, took over. He's a medical doctor, mm-hmm. and he got reached by a missionary, and the missionary got cancer and was going to die. And he said to Dr. Armin Jasalva, he said, I want you to take the church. I'm not a pastor. And he said, I feel like God wants He could have called another missionary. He could have given it. But he felt like God wanted Dr. Army Jasalva to take it. And Dr. Jasalva is literally, sometimes they call him the jackhouse of Asia. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has planted hundreds and thousands of churches with his people. All over, and he was indigenous. He he he's from the Philippines, and the people that they they reach has just been amazing. And so, not just with them, but different other. Um um, Filipino pastors to reach and to see what they're doing and they know the culture they're not going to quit and go home you know, of course they can quit the ministry but um, they don't need the income that Americans need to be able to come over raise support three years of reputation and then they're unsupported they've got to go back on furlough the national pastor doesn't have to do any of that just practically mm-hmm. to train them to be able to, to do that by the way I did want to say and you did too um, however anybody's preaching the gospel we're for you know <laughs> Absolutely. and so you want to go to a place and build a big church and have a college and train them they're doing a great work we already mentioned Rick Martins and guys like that uh, it's, a, it's a great model uh, and it's done great they've done a super super job but in looking to see okay how can we help uh, if God didn't call me to go be a Rick Martin there but how can I help and where can that money be used the best mm-hmm. to take and help those indigenous pastors I remember being there and teaching them and how much well, they they just soaked that that up and they wanted it to be trained where they could reach their people and which is a, a definitely biblical model to be able to do um, and they're not going to quote leave and go back home they are home and with some help um, I think we can help build and grow so much more of that so transition to that how can we help? What uh, people listening uh, to this podcast right now uh, are churches that want to do that. How can we help the indigenous pastor yeah. um, to be able to do that? And how do you know they're good? Because we get, you know, on social media all the time, mm-hmm. fake messages from people. We have no idea who they are, if yeah. they're good, if they're bad. You know, we just give them money and find out, you know, I've heard of churches over there. <laughs> they have a, uh, an outbuilding and it has different church signs depending on who's coming to visit. They're Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopal, and they just change their sign when that person's coming to visit. Yeah. So, you know, you hear of things like that, and we're afraid of, you know, we don't, we don't yeah. want to be a scam. So, how can we help them without hurting
2: yeah. them? And, and And social media has linked the third world to the West and American people and Westerners tend to be very compassionate towards those that suffer and need help. And so no doubt that's a Achilles uh, heel in missions. Mm -hmm. Uh, What we did is we began to take our own members to the field. We became acquainted with those that we were working with so that if we got to a place and we found a good man, but it didn't seem like he had a kindred heart for trying to reach his own people, but was a decent pastor. uh, We'd help by being there that week. But we begin to make real close relationships with those that were evangelistic, that were ex- extreme in their doctrinal soundness, that were reproducing themselves, and and so as our church members were coming back, uh, and our own, you know, myself and you know, my different ones that were traveling with us, we just developed relationships that became sort of the main cogs in different regions of the world, and so we have several uh, ministries now, several avenues, I should say where we're helping the indigenous church planters. We primarily help in six different areas, and I can name a few of those in a moment, but but those are areas that our church took it upon ourself of these are some men that we believe in. I'll, I'll give you one to start with. Uh, about 19 months ago, we started a ministry, Brother Baker called our church planting ministry. Uh, a local man finishes his Bible training in a third world, and he needs a little bit of a nudge to get out and get going sometimes. Uh, Africans and Asians sometimes will start a church under a banana tree. God bless them for their labors. But they'll they'll reach more people and get off to a better start if they just have a meeting place. Yeah. So we would donate. We started this uh, a year and nine months ago or a year and seven months ago, 19 months ago, uh, donating $600 to that church planner. We wouldn't send the money to that young man but we'd send it to the young, to the person that trained him, like Brother Mark Holmes in Nigeria. Right, we'd right. send the money through him, and he would utilize that $600 when that fellow was getting ready to start a church in renting a building for the next several months. Sometimes that could rent several spaces in a building. Sometimes if it was in a village, they'd build a little lean-to with a pole barn kind of thing, tin roof and some benches. And $600 doesn't go far here in America, but in a third world context, it can give a start to that ministry. Wow. And so our members begin to make those uh, uh, commitments. I'll I'll support a local church plant. And then we would connect our member with the church plant being started and with that local pastor, and he would give us a report in the first service. And uh, as a result of that, it was sort of like adopting a, a new church, yeah. a new pastor, and, and our members could pray for them. And, and so just since January of this year, even uh, outside of our own church, 13 different churches have helped us start new churches around the world since January. And, uh, and, and it's a one-time commitment. When we give it, they give a report on how the money's used. Uh, they're men that we can trust because we've been to their location. Good. We found those that were training them. So one of the things I would say to every pastor and to those that are listening they are part of local church leadership is you've got to get to the field yourself. You've got to build those relationships. Yeah. We'll certainly allow you to come alongside us and help us doing what we're doing. We're not going to refuse the help, but the reality is is you'll develop a greater heart for those regions of the world if you'll get your U.S. passport and get on a plane Mm -hmm. and dedicate yourself to going you know, a, a week, two weeks, uh, you know, three weeks—however long you be gone. Ninety of our church members have been to the mission field the last 15 years, and many of those go on a yearly basis. And it's revolutionized the heart of giving, even within Absolutely. our local church. So go to the field, get to know the local pastors, the indigenous pastors—who that you can trust and who's reliable, who seems to already be doing a good work. Don't find guys that are waiting to start, but True. guys that are already doing something great, and then and then get behind them the same way you would do an American missionary you look at a track record and you say this man's been pastoring or this man's been an assistant pastor or this man's you know been trained well Uh, he's a he's a good investment that's the way we do our indigenous pastors as well
1: i love that and if you hear you know brother mark holmes a great guy great missionary i've been in his church preached at his church and um and he he's had somebody go through their bible institute for two three four years he knows them he backs them up. He knows they're a soul winner. He knows their character is right. Their morals are right. Their finances are right. He knows that. And so what a great way to partner with our missionaries, Absolutely. with the indigenous pastors, because we don't live there. We don't know. He may have a good show, but Mark Holmes, know, I've known this man for four years. Here's Absolutely. his character. Here's his ethics. Here's his work. Um, and you get behind him and support him. What a great connection way, because it is. It's not up to... Individually, we're supposed to do all we can, but boy, to partner
2: with um, the missionaries, that's that's their partner to help them reach the world. Let me give you an example of that, if I could, Brother Baker. Uh, There's a young man that got saved there in Brother Mark's uh, ministry in Abuja. He was a converted Muslim, he was of the Fulani tribe, and his Mm -hmm. name is Hamidu Usman. Hamidu is a fervent soul winner. Uh, he went to the school. I think he's still got a year left before he even finishes, so he's not officially pastoring now. Yeah. He considers himself a student evangelist now. But young, uh, young Hamidu will go on his own dime to, to villages and use one of our Jesus film packs to evangelize Muslim communities. We, we put together this pack, cost us $700 per pack. We use the Jesus film, which is in over 2,000 languages around the world. And and we put it on an SD card and put it in a small projector that can be packed into this uh, Home Depot bag, a tool bag, and it gets in there with a a battery pack and a big amplifier. You can show it on the uh, outdoors, and large crowds can come around and hear the gospel. And our local pastors and evangelists will take that Jesus film equipment. They'll show a a gospel film in the open air in the local dialect, and people just gather around. Mm. And when they preach the uh, gospel at the very end, give an invitation, just last month we saw, and we have 73 of those that are scattered around the world right now, but, wow. but last month we saw 6,200 people come to Christ as their Savior. Hamidu Usman, out of an American missionary's work in Abuja, Nigeria, is the is the fruit of his labor. And now all we're doing is coming alongside a young man like that and say... You know, let us help you reach people for Christ in your own culture. And so, as I said earlier, it's not discounting the work of the American missionary. Thank God for those men and women that are scattered around the world sacrificing for the gospel's sake but uh, our our job is to leave something perpetual that will be there generations later and eventually the best of missionaries are coming home yeah. and they're going to retire or for health reasons or emotional struggles or financial struggles they're coming home and when they do there needs to be an indigenous church churches in each of these areas and so that's why we invest heavily in the indigenous pastor that's awesome yeah we've already said it but the protections to make sure
1: that you're not investing in some scam or things like that, you either go there yourself, you see, you meet, you yeah. talk, you work with, you make sure they have that, or you're working with that American missionary um, or that even Dr. Salva. you know, that, that they put their stamp and right. we trust them and right. they trust the other person. So you have that connection of trust, so you're not wasting anything to find out that you've been, you know, funding some scam out there because there are scams out there. Yeah one of the danger. how many people won't fund true works because, oh, they're afraid of being yeah. scammed, yeah. and where you can have protections in place where you don't have to worry about that.
2: Yeah, and, and I would say this, that in every ministry, whether you're pastoring a local church here in America, supporting uh, national pastors or American missionaries, every one of us could tell horror stories of people that failed miserably, right. took advantage, wasted funds, what have you. So it works both ways. You can have indigenous pastors that get in the ministry for the wrong reason. You can also have American pastors and missionaries that get into ministry for the wrong reason and end up leaving the ministry because of uh, you know, their own their own lust or their own desires. And so 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 some of the checks and balances are exactly what you said if we know those that are training them, and if we've come alongside them. uh, A a good example, Peter Thamai is an Indian pastor in a city called Dimapur, India, which is in the northeast corner of India, near the Bhutan border, Bangladesh border, Nepal border, not far from Myanmar. But in Dimapur, there's a tremendous Bible college and local churches, Bethlehem Baptist Church, and their Bible college has produced, uh, listen to this, over 600 graduates, Not all of those, of course, are pastoring. Some of them are young ladies that went to school to get education, degrees, and so forth. But every one of those young men that have come out of there and started a new church is doing an outstanding job. We we started four churches last year, Brother Baker, in 2022 in Bhutan. And in Bhutan is a closed, restricted nation, 800,000 people living in Bhutan, almost exclusively Buddhist with about 10% Islam, and about half of 1% of the Bhutan population claims anything Christians. Churches are illegal. The gospel is illegal there to be preached openly. And so... From the ministry of Peter Thamai that has been to our church, that got trained here to Bible College in America even, and then partly in Bangalore, he has has been back there with his own people, reaching his own folks, and so we have confidence in him, and our confidence in him says, man, when you're ready to go start a church— we want to come alongside you and help you, and so it's finding people that you feel endeared to, and that you feel like are grounded, and folks that are going to be trustworthy, and then it's getting behind that guy as he trains his men to go preach the gospel and start new churches. Yeah, beautiful, yeah, beautiful. Um, I wanted, um, with the pleasure, to come on here
1: so you could hear him when I mentioned the three main purpose of this podcast is to push back on some of the false doctrine and changes that uh, many people are, are, are doing. Number two is to uh, introduce you to good pastors and missionaries, and, and that's a part of that. And then third is to train and equip you to make sure you can be a good witness. But uh, I wanted to expose you to his ministry. So I want you to tell us about your podcast so they can follow you and go find that and listen to episodes. Tell us about your podcast
2: and, and what you're doing there. We started, Kim and I, my wife, we started the uh, podcast, uh, we're on our 57th or 58th 58th episode. We do one a week. We started that last year for the purpose of, uh, Brother Baker, I had just met some of the greatest servants of God. Mm. I'd be in a place, um, uh, for example, uh, in Pakistan. I was was with a man by the name of Asher Shahzad in Lahore, Pakistan, pastoring a Bible Baptist church and has a seminary and a Bible college there, has trained dozens and dozens of Pakistanis to preach the gospel and to go out and start independent Baptist churches. And Brother Asher, as I was there with him preaching in some of the ministries and teaching in the Bible school, would talk about the persecution of the Pakistani people Mm. and Pakistani Christians. He talked about coming out the door one day and going down the street from his church in Yohanabad. And a, and a suicide bomber blew up himself in front of a group of Christians and I think killed 18 or 19, maybe more than that, uh, believers coming out of their church. They, they were having services on Sunday, which is unusual for Muslim, prim, primarily Muslim countries. And, uh, and many got killed and Brother Asher was there, his wife was there. He said, Brother Tim, it took my wife probably three months to recover just from the mental trauma that she saw, the emotional trauma, people's body parts lying on the street. And, and yet he's there serving the Lord. And and as I'd be with these people, I'd think, man, you know, these are heroes of the faith. Yeah. These are, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a minor player in the gospel, you know, and so I'd say, boy, if I could ever introduce people of America to Brother Asher, or mm. if I could, I was down in Honduras preaching at a church and met a guy named Yeri Martinez, and Brother Yeri's wife about a year ago, less than a year ago, passed away with cancer, and while he was telling me about his wife's death while I was there, he said, my little 10-year-old daughter uh, when, when, when her mom was taking her last breath, said in, in the Spanish language, she lifted her hand toward heaven as a 10 year old and said, as her mom died, absent from body, present with the Lord. And I thought, boy, what a, what a story of grace and mercy. And, and, uh, And it made me feel so honored just to be there with him. And and he's still pastoring, started two churches, Brother Yeri, and just a godly man. And so we started the podcast. It's called All Nations Conversation, and it's on Spotify and Apple and Subsplash, and we have it on our church website. But we started mainly so that I could introduce pastors and church laymen and Bible school students to men and women of God that I had met all around the world that were just just great servants, great stories of grace in their life. And then secondly... I think, this is just my opinion, I think that a lot of times in ministry, Brother Baker, we reproduce whatever we know. We don't really think outside the box. We support missionaries where we know others have gone. We support them maybe four and five times of uh, the amount being supported in this region as opposed to other regions where the gospel is not even named. you know. And and so as I would travel into some of these hard areas where you don't find too many gospel preachers. Man, I'd meet people and I'd say, you know, there needs to be more emphasis upon this region of the world. If I'm putting this up on my podcast, somebody's going to listen to it. And maybe some young man sitting in Bible school is going to start saying, I'm going to pray about going to that place. And so it was to expose the regions of the world that I felt like were being neglected. And it was to introduce great servants of God. And if you get a chance, a new episode comes out every Tuesday. If you get a chance, click on there. And uh, we're we're not professionals and doing podcasts, but we we know people that are great servants of God. We want you to know them. It's a
1: good podcast. I've listened to it, and I recommend it, and I hope that you will. We need good, independent Baptists putting together good podcasts of information and uh, connecting that. So I love, love, love what he's doing. Um, A couple things before we're done. Um, How else can people support? If they say, you know what, man, I want to do this, okay? How could they support you? Um, Of course, prayers, finances, going. uh, You got a trip coming up. I mean any way, if they want to be a part, what's available for Yeah,
2: them? I mean, any way that we, we, you know, we, we I come to churches like yours to try to find ways that we can partner together and find ways of mutual ground for the gospel's sake. Uh, if you'd like me to come to your church and explain what we do with All Nations Outreach Ministry, Amen. we're raising support all the time for that. But I've had uh, members uh, and pastors just recently make comments to me about they want to go on a trip upcoming with us. If you'd like to go on one of the trips, we, we make five or six major Trips per year out of our church. I go on several of those. I'll be in Hong Kong and Taiwan in the month of November uh, this year. I've been in Tajikistan and Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, and uh, I've been uh, down to Congo this year. In fact, you're talking about Brother Jasalva When I was down in the Congo, I was with a man that we were supporting. And his name is David Moipu. He went to the Philippines and got trained at the Bible school in Cebu. Wow. And then he's back in the Congo. We've helped that guy start, or he started, I should say. We've helped him on some of them. Brother David has started uh, 14 new churches. Wow. He's a young man, probably in his early 30s. His dad was an independent Baptist preacher, and, uh, and so he's got a good Bible t- uh, training. By the way, to show you the love that those uh, Filipinos have for the missions and for d- preaching the gospel, Brother David married a Filipino woman, and in a period of a year and a half, a year and a half, traveled to over 500 churches on deputation. Imagine traveling. Those of us that are American missionaries, and we complain about traveling and being on the road all the time. Imagine in a year and a half traveling, on some Sundays, he would be in seven churches. Imagine that. And he raised just minimal, I mean, support compared to what we need. And he's back in the Congo. He's got three Bible schools. We've helped him on several churches. And so if you'd like to help us, If you go onto our church website, I wish we had our own missions website, but we have our own church website, and there's a drop-down to our missions page. So you go on to www.calvarycares.net. That's our church website where my dad has pastored for 37 years. And then you click onto our missions page, which is called All Nations Outreach Ministry. And it's got a segment on there where you could give if you decide to give online. And it would allow you to choose segments. Like if you wanted to buy a Jesus film pack, it allows you to give towards that. A church plant it allows you to give towards that. We do motorbikes. and so Or you could have me come to your church. You could reach out to me, myself, through email, my email address. Is simple. It's tpledger2 at gmail.com, tpledger2 at gmail.com. I'd love to answer any questions you might have. I'm not an expert. I don't know all that there is to know about missions, but I love the gospel. I love people being saved. I see people saved everywhere I go, and then I love church planting, and so uh, our, our heart's desire. We started this church plant ministry now, 17 uh, uh, or 19 months ago, a year and seven months ago. And we've been able to start 139 new churches, independent Baptist churches in 32 different countries. And it's only because we've gone to these places and have learned who the nationals were learned where they're getting trained. And now we feel commitment to the fact that when they're ready to start a new church, we've got to come up with the funds to be able to start that church. And, and so that's our heart's is the wow. salvation of the lost and church planting. Awesome. Everything you say has three or four more questions. i got to hear about the motorbike. So
1: tell me about the motorbike ministry and why. And uh, side question, what is the
2: most amount of people you've seen on a motorbike? A (laughs) lot. If I was guessing in Africa, I'd say, or maybe in India, I've seen a lot in India too, but I'd say... Probably the husband, the wife. I've probably seen five kids on a motorbike. So, so I've probably seen maybe seven. sets on a I motorbike. Philippines. So. I've seen seven yeah, or eight. People they stack them on them the handlebars and on the gas tank <laughs> back here. We we buy motorbikes for for a thousand dollars in most places. Sometimes a little bit less. Sometimes a little bit more. But it's probably averages to a thousand dollars. We buy just the small versions. The probably four fifty CCs or whatever they'd be considered. India makes them, China makes some. Imports them into all these countries. And we buy them because if you can imagine trying to do ministry outside of your own walking distance, Uh, an African will get a a bicycle sometimes, and that will work for a certain range. But like in the Jesus films, we're sending guys way up over top of mountains. We're sending them down into 25, 30 miles away. They're going on ministry to try to reach and start new churches in the villages. Well, you can only do so much by foot. Or by public transport, even. You know, think about public transport. You're traveling out to show the Jesus film, and it's uh, 9 o'clock at night, maybe 9.30, and the film's finishing. You're packing up your stuff. Now you're heading 25 miles back home, and there's no taxis now. And there's no buses running. And so you're on foot and you're having to sleep in the village or you're you know, being there really, really late. And so we started doing $1,000 for a motorbike. We bought several of them. They're scattered all over. We have some in India and lots of places, Uganda, Congo, Amen. Nigeria. And we just buy them for the purpose of helping those pastors and evangelists that are already proven themselves to do the best with what they have. We want to expand their reach, their influence, you know. And so it's been a great blessing. I've got to tell you this. I was in a church just last week in Ohio. A lady came up to me after church with tears in her eyes, about 45-year-old lady, sweet lady, been a member of that church for three years where she got saved. And she said, Brother Tim, I want to give you my motorcycle. I said, give me a motorcycle? Yeah, I never had that approach. And she said, I got a Harley Davidson. It's only got 12,000 miles on. It's worth about $8,000, and I want to give it to you to send to Africa or somewhere. And I thought cannot give that Harley Davidson to an African (laughs) running up and down the streets. And so I said, would it be okay if we sell it and then we take the funds from that? $1,000 a a motorcycle, you can sell an $8,000 motorbike here and send the money overseas and buy seven or eight of those things. And so that's what we're doing. I I, I, I said this to you, some of the most gracious people in the world are people in Baptist churches that are just common people, working their jobs, loving the Lord, loving their family and trying to make a dent for the gospel and I thank you that are pastors out there as you're you're in the trenches weekly as you're trying to develop a a servant's heart in the minds of people in the hearts of people and and you're doing the hard work I'm coming behind you and Reaping some of the benefits for missions that you've laid down for years and years, and so our heart's desire is to find these different tools. Really, the Jesus film, the Bibles. Many African pastors, Indian pastors, Pakistani pastors—they don't have any Bibles to even give to a new convert. And so we have a Bible fund that we operate. And so uh, any way that you'd like to reach out to us and just get ideas from us, I think it'd be a great church. If, if a great thing, if every church Amen. of like faith had their own hands-on ministry for missions where it wasn't just sending out checks and getting letters, but you were taking groups of your own members. It will revolutionize your church. Take teenagers, take the older folks, Amen. people that just want to serve the Lord. We'll get somewhere and have a guy that's a plumber, uh, have a guy that's a carpenter a bricklayer. And while we're out knocking doors, he's back at the church helping around with things like this. And so everybody's been gifted by God. Use your talents for the gospel. Amen. Yeah. Beautiful.
1: The pleasure. Thank you. Um, appreciate your ministry, what you're doing. Love the ideas. Um, can you imagine if we all use our gifts, talents, and abilities to be able to do what the Pleasure is talking about? Every church in America did this. Boy, how many churches could be started? How many? tens of thousands and millions of people could be saved if we did this. It really is a big deal. So thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time. Please go listen to the um, All Nations Conversation podcast, okay? Go listen to that wherever you listen to them at. And then go to their website, uh, www.calvarycares.net. Yes, sir. Calvarycares.net. And um, and pray about what God would want you to do. Buy a couple of motorbikes. Buy a Jesus pack. Uh, help uh, uh, start that new church. Or buy Bibles for them. Gigantic things. Things that we can do to be a part um, and uh, go on a mission trip, okay? Uh, it'll change the world, it'll Amen. change your life. Thank you so much for listening and uh, God bless you. Thank you for the pleasure. Thank you, thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us at Podcast at gmail.com.